Have you ever noticed that life is a series of tough questions? We are constantly dealing with a tough question after a tough, tough question, a, a tough experience, whether it's something at work in which you're saying, I, I don't want to be here anymore, and yet I'm not sure if I want to take a chance of what is behind door number two. And so you're in this position of ah, tough questions, tough decisions to make. Or you're in an experience at home and you're not sure what to do next. When you get those unexpected calls, when something happens to a family member and life is hitting you hard, what do I do now? There's all these paths and each one of them is going to lead in a different direction. Which one do I choose? We get hit with this kind of stuff all the time and we even pray and pray and pray and we feel like God isn't answering those prayers and we're not sure what to do. And there seems to be two major responses as I've seen this over the years that everyone does. On one hand, we see people disappear. When, they ha- when they're hit by life, they, they step back into a shell and isolate. It's actually a very common response because it's natural to want to separate, push everyone away, and just disappear. But every once in a while, I see something else, and I see people who they get knocked down and down and down, and they step up every time knowing that God still has a plan. They show this incredible resilience. And as I watch that resilience, I'm so impressed because the Bible shows that over and over again. There's a man by the name of Paul who gets knocked down constantly. He is chased. He is is put in jail. He is beaten. They're throwing stones at him. And this guy shows this resilience that I have never seen before. This resilience in which he says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're not broken. We are perplexed, but we don't give up. We don't quit. We're hunted down. How many of us feel hunted down? We're hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up and we keep going. This this resilience of Paul, I want that kind of resilience. I want you guys to have that resilience. The Bible speaks of this, that every bone in our body may want to step back and disappear, but what we are supposed to do is have a resilience to keep going. In fact, he gives us one of the oldest books in the entire Bible dealing with this, this subject, and it's a large part of the Bible that's dealing with this subject. The book and the person is Job. Job is one of the first pieces of the Bible that we were given, and it's told to us in this massive book. It's a large book in the Bible, and it deals with this subject How to press on when your world collapse. I mean, the worst possible scenario. This was a wealthy man, one of the wealthiest of his generation. He was a prominent and influential man with all the people around him. And someone comes up to him and says, you have lost everything. All of your wealth is gone. Your farms, your sheep, your cattle, everything that was of value in that age, and he had a ton of it, was lost within 24 hours. And while that person is finishing their sentence, someone else comes up and says, all of your kids have been killed. That's a pretty bad day. That's that's probably worst possible scenario. But in that same time period, he has this this chronic, uh, this, this painful and terminal illness 
that happens to him as well. So when you add all that together, that's a, that's a pretty bad day. I mean, that's probably worst case scenario. And God gives it to us and says, I want to show you something. I want to show you that no matter what you face, I want to give you an example of how to respond, how to continue to press on and have an uncommon courage, the courage to keep going no matter what. In your notes, pull those out. There's five key handles that I want you to grab from the book of Job. There's some pins on the side of your aisle uh, in a little basket. Pass those down. Make sure everyone has a pin. Pull your notes out. I want you to grab these five key things that God shows us through the book of Job. The first one right there under point one, write it. Be real. Be real. There's a Christianese sort of attitude sometimes that says, I'm okay, I'm all right, it's going to be fine, I have God, and you have to press on and show that nothing, nothing can get you down. You don't have to do that. You don't have to pretend everything is okay. You need to be real in your situation, whatever it is, and say, I am hurting, I am frustrated, and I am mad that this is happening to me. You release those frustrations to God. You release it out and you let God take those frustrations and lift you up from it. I sometimes think of it like this can of soda. There's a natural pressure inside of here that I'm supposed to release to enjoy. But if I don't release the pressure and I just shake this can up and I shake it and I shake it and I throw it around and just mess with it, at some point, this is going to explode. In fact, let me show you right now how this works. I wouldn't do that to you guys. I mean, I want this to be an interactive service. So it's the splash zone, right? This is like a Gallagher. It would be really sticky if that happened. But I want the message to stick. And I think we get the point, right? If we do this, if we let it all just stay inside of us, there is a point in which it will get messy. It will explode. And if we're not real... If we're not real with our emotions and our frustrations, it will explode at some point. With Job, he immediately breaks down and rips his clothes. You know someone's pretty frustrated, pretty in the moment when they start ripping their clothes off. That's when you can say, that guy, he's showing his emotions. And he rips his clothes and then he shaves his head. Another sign of that generation of humility, humbling himself shaving his head that I am the lowest of lows. This is the worst moment ever. And he drops to the ground and worships. He's real. He's in the moment. He's being real about what's going on in his life. There's five major emotions that are going to happen to you. These emotions will hit you as life hits hard. The first one is anger. Why is this happening to me? Why, how about those guys? How about you enjoy this burden? I want other people to have this as well. Why is it only happening to me and we get angry about that? That's a very natural emotion. We go from that into grief. I have lost something. And it's not something I can easily get back. In Job's case, I've lost my children. That's not something I'm just going to wake up tomorrow and continue on. I can't get that back. My life will never be the same. And the shock of that begins to hit us. We are shocked because what do I do now? 
Am I supposed to just carry on as if this didn't happen? My life is different now. And the shock of that hits hard. And then we move to the fear. If this happened today, what's going to happen tomorrow? Because if something else hits me right now, I might be done. I, I couldn't take another hit. And the fear of that overtakes us. These are natural emotions that we need to tell God. God can handle our emotions. God created those emotions. He created you. He created those feelings. So release those feelings back to him. God can handle your frustrations, your anger, your fears. If my three-year-old daughter comes up and starts pounding on my leg, I'm not overwhelmed by that. Even if it's because of me and I've given her a spanking for something that she did that was naughty, when she's hitting me on the leg, nothing but love is coming from me. She couldn't do anything to not make me love her. I couldn't love her more. And so her fears, her frustrations, whatever she is releasing on me as she's pounding on my leg, nothing but love is going to be coming back from me because I, I couldn't love her more than I do. And our God is so much bigger than that. Your God is your creator. He has so much love for you. Release the emotions to him. In Job seven eleven, it says, I can't be quiet. I'm angry and I'm bitter and I have to speak. He's releasing emotions to God. Lamentations says, cry out in the night. Pour out your heart like water in prayers to the Lord. Jeremiah, in his frustration, says, God, you deceived me. It's a weird verse in the Bible. God, you deceived me. You told me. and You said it was going to be like this, but it's like this. I don't, I don't understand. God can love us and understand our confusions. God can handle our confusions. Naomi says, I want everyone to call me bitter. Just call me bitter because God has made me bitter. It's a weird, weird verse in the Bible. But God understands the emotions. And God is doing something behind the scenes that Naomi has no idea how big it is. It has to do with Jesus Christ later. There's something so massive going on. But Naomi, in the moment, she was releasing her emotions because God can handle her not understanding. David, David is said to be a man after God's own heart. And David says, I've taken the worst that you can hand out, God, and I'm fed up. I'm done. That's what David says to God. God can handle that because David's relationship was so deep and his love was so deep that he could be real with God. He could release those emotions to God. And I think that's the key. If our relationship goes that deep and our love for God is that deep, you can be real with him. You can say whatever you want because he understands you and nothing overwhelms him. So be real. The second thing I want you to write is to be open. Job shows us an incredible openness to guys that aren't the best advice givers that you will see in the Bible. Some of the things they say is ridiculous, but he's open to it. He listens to them. I, I almost, it's like if you have friends like that, you really don't need enemies because these guys, what they're saying is it's ridiculous. But he's open to it. 
God in one of the first chapters, one of the first books of the Bible, looks down at Adam and says, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. It's like he sees all the animals and, and he says, yeah, yeah, 17 cats in your life? Nah, it's not really going to do it. I'm going to send you this woman. I'm going to send you a helpmate, a relationship, someone that you can experience life with because it's not good for you to be alone. One of the first things God does is he sees that that's not good. The natural emotion of wanting to isolate and disappear That's not the best plan. And God says, I need you to experience life in relationships. In Job 6.14, he says, when desperate people give up on God Almighty, their friends at least, their friends should stick with them. When a friend is that person who's walking into your life when everyone else seems to be walking out. The NIV version of this says, even a despairing man deserves the devotion of his friends, even if he forsakes Almighty God. I like that version because it's really pointing to something. It's pointing to this, even in the moment when life is hitting you and you say, I'm not even sure I believe in God. I doubt God exists. Your friends come along and say, that's okay. We will have faith for you right now. We'll have enough faith for you. It's, it's an amazing thing when we start to have friends in our life that when we doubt, they'll step up and say, that's all right. We have enough faith for you. A year ago, I found myself in the worst possible scenario. My son was in the hospital. And when he went into the hospital, we didn't know what was going on. And we're there for day after day as they were, he's just being misdiagnosed. And they're trying to figure out why he's getting sicker and sicker. And on the fourth day, they put a, a chest tube in him and a pick line in him. And they realize that he's got pneumonia on his lungs and there's water in his lungs. And my wife texts me this picture and says, they're coming in to take him to the ICU because it's going from bad to worse. And the, the situation hits me so hard because I realize my worst possible fear is coming to life. And I told a few friends, I told some family, you know, to be praying for him as we were in the hospital. But in this moment, I didn't know what to do. So I went on Facebook and I posted the picture and I said, pray I don't know what's going to happen next. You would think after three services I would have been able to get through this without crying. But anyway, I had been a missions pastor the year before. And I I went all around the world and and, uh, meeting different missionaries, adding them on Facebook, being friends with them, keeping contact. And when I posted this, just all of these posts came back of prayers from around the world. And within minutes, I saw hundreds of prayers from people around the world praying for my son in that moment. And it was like the power of relationships never hit me harder. I I was overwhelmed that the entire world that I knew could be praying in one moment. It was incredible. And I was never the same after it. The doctor comes in and says, you know what? We're going to wait to take him to the ICU. He's doing a little bit better right now. He comes back in an hour and he says, you know what? He's doing a little bit better. We're going to wait. We're going to wait till tomorrow. The next day rolls in. He says, he's doing a little bit better today. Nine days pass and we're in the hospital, but they never take him to the ICU because every time the doctor came in, he was a little bit better. And so they said, you can go home, but your son for a year, his lungs are going to have to grow back 
and he's not going to be quite the same for a year. Within a month, he was back to normal, and he was in soccer, and he was running laps around the other kids, and I'm all, that's crazy. That is the power of prayer. That is the power of relationships when we will be open to it and not do what we naturally want to do, and that's disappear and separate and isolate. The third thing I want you to write is be trusting. It sounds a lot like number two, but it's not, because trusting is this one. We're constantly saying, why? Why? Why, God? Why am I experiencing this? And at some point, we have to stop asking why, because it's prolonging pain in our life. For 37 chapters, Job asked why. 37 chapters. That's a long time. When you think that, that Jesus like changed the world in three verses, like verse, the entire world was created in, what, seven or so verses, For 37 chapters, God allows Job to ask why, as if he knew that this would be a real issue that we face a lot, and he wanted us to understand you can ask these questions of why until finally God says to Job, who tells the snow to fall? This is his response to Job. Who tells the rain to be strong? Who tells the beast to go into his lair and remain in his den? Who makes the lightning and the clouds shine? Who laid the foundations of the world, the cornerstone, and set the measurements? Who encloses the sea with doors? Who sang out the stars? Have you ever commanded the morning, Job? Have the gates of death ever been revealed to you? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Where is the way that the light is divided? Does rain have a father? Who has put wisdom And the innermost beings are given understanding to the mind. Do you know the time that the mountain goats give birth? Do you give the horse his might? Chapters 37, chapters 38, chapters 39. God says, Job, you are not God. And if you understood everything that was going on, you would be God. But you are not. We are not God. The fact is, We pray and we pray and we pray and we think that God isn't answering our prayers. But God is always answering prayers. The problem is we don't always understand what that means. Because God can answer prayers hundreds of different ways. We think yes or no, that's kind of the the end all with prayers, but it's not. It's nice when that happens. One out of a thousand times that might happen. But a lot of times he's using other answers like the answer of, wait, be patient. It's not time for that yet. Or the answer of, get off your butt and work for what you're praying for. We don't really like that answer. That's not the favorite answer from God. But sometimes that's the answer. Or the answer where he says, you are my answer to that prayer. I didn't show you that so you would just continue to pray and pray and pray. I want you to be the answer. That's why I showed you. That sometimes is the way he answers. Also not our favorite. Sometimes he'll say, you've got to be kidding me. I can't believe you're asking for that. That's a ridiculous prayer. And then he mocks you for years. <laughs> Maybe not. Sometimes, sometimes his answer is, you're not praying that correctly. God will say, you don't quite get it yet. I want you to to step back and pray a different angle on that prayer, but I'm going to wait for you because I am patient. And it may take years until we realize how we should be praying that prayer. 
on and on. Let me give you 95 different ways. No, I'm just kidding. He has a lot of ways that he's going to answer our prayers besides yes or no. So at some point, we have to say, God, you are God, and I trust you. Job did. It took him 42 chapters, but Job finally did. He said, I know that you can do anything, and I know that no one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. 42 chapters, but he finally got there. It is I. I, I was talking about things I didn't understand, things far too wonderful for me, God. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. He got there. I heard a story about a guy. He walks into Disneyland. He sees this $2 bill on the ground on Main Street. And he picks it up and he's like, people are dropping money. He looks around all these tourists and thinks they have no idea. Their wallets are falling out of their pockets. So for the rest of the day, he's walking around the park, staring at the ground, trying to see if anyone else has dropped money. Until the park closes. And as he's leaving, he goes, wait. I've been staring at the ground for hours all day long, and I totally miss the joys and the fun and the excitement and just the greatness that it is. Yes? I'm just kidding. I'm a little far with that. But you guys get it. I miss so much because of something that I was staring at and wanting and thinking would be a blessing. How often do we do that in our prayers we're praying a certain way. We're wanting certain outcomes that we think would be the best when God wants to lift our eyes up and say, look around. I have something more for you to see that's greater than what you want. God is passionately and intimately aware of every detail of your life. I wish I was. I am not God, but God is aware. And so he is deep within you saying, I have more for you. There is a reason Trust me. Fourth thing is be sweet. This should probably say don't be bitter, but I hate working in negatives, so I'm going to say the opposite of what bitterness is, and that's sweetness. The tendency is to be bitter about the situation that you are in. You, you get that. Why, is this, why, is, why do I get the joy of this burden? Why is this on me? There's so many people around me that don't even have anything close to this, and yet you've given it to me, and bitterness sets in when we need to be sweet. Job said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I shall have nothing when I die. The Lord gave me everything I had, and they were his to take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look where that verse is. Chapter 1, right after, one of the first things he says he goes immediately, instead of to bitterness, to sweetness. One of the reasons I asked him to sing the song that came from this verse, which is, blessed be the name of the Lord, you give and you take away. It's straight out of Job. Because we don't understand everything that God's doing. But it's all God's. And we need to be sweet. Because when we start to move, grief is good. Grief gets you through life. But when it moves to bitterness... And resentment, it starts to kill you. Those are the things that begin to kill your body, kill your situation. Grief is good. God understands grief. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning, yeah, 
You can mourn. Jesus wept is a famous verse. Losses, losses will deepen me, but they will not define who I am. You are not your divorce. You are not your bankruptcy. You are not your failures. You are not your disability. You are not your difficulty. Losses deepen me, but they don't define me. Don't let the loss of what your situation is define who you are and let it turn into resentment and sorrow and bitterness. Grief is okay. Grief, God understands. But when it moves to the next section of bitterness, it will kill you. Hebrews 12, 15, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. It causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. It's been said many times, pain is inevitable in this world. Loss is inevitable. But misery is optional. It's up to you to choose how you'll respond to the situation that you're in. Will you stand up and be courageous? Which is number five, be courageous. That's what the message is all about. An uncommon courage. King David, he also had the loss of a child. But when that child got sick, when it first started, King David was devastated. He falls, he also rips his clothes, very common in this time period. He rips his clothes, falls to the ground. He doesn't eat for days. He doesn't do any business. He doesn't shower. He just lays there crying out to God over and over, save this baby, save this baby. God, nothing else matters. Save this baby. His advisors would come to him and say, David, you have to eat something. And he's, no, nothing else matters but this. God, please do this. Please. The baby dies. And the advisors talk amongst each other and they say, what are we going to do? If he is this distraught, if he is this distraught when the baby is sick, we can't tell him that the baby has died. What will he do? But they do, and he has a very peculiar response. He gets up, takes a shower, puts on new clothes, eats, and starts going about his life. His advisors come back to him, and they're just, they're shocked. You were so, you were so distraught. And when we told you it died, you then moved on. And he says this, my child will never return to me, but one day I will return to my child in heaven. My child will not come back, but I will see that child again. This chapter is closed. There are going to be incredible losses that we face over and over. As we look at the story of Job, he has to close that chapter and move forward. And you know, God blesses him. As you watch the end of that story, he, everything is doubled. In fact, the only thing that's not doubled is his family, which at first you think, what? Of all the things that would matter the most, wouldn't it be the family? But this is the amazing thing about our God. He's always doing so many intricate things in Scripture. The one thing that wouldn't double is family because his family is not dead. Half are waiting for him in heaven. They didn't die. They've moved on, and he will be with them again. And it has been doubled. Half is here, and half is waiting for him. God is always doing something when we are courageously moving forward. 
Job 11 says, put your heart right, Job. Put away evil and wrong from your home. Then face the world again, firm and courageous. Then all your troubles will fade from your memory like floods that are past and remembered no more. Your life will be brighter than the sunshine at noon. And life's darkest hours will shine like the dawn. You will live secure and full of hope. Many of you, a room this size, you you have gone through life and life has hit hard and you're facing some of your worst moments right now. This chapter will end. You are still alive. You are still here and God has a purpose for your life. It's an amazing purpose. And at some point you have to be courageous and close this chapter and say, God, you still reign. You are God. I trust you. My prayer is this, Colossians 1.11. We pray that you will be filled with this mighty, glorious strength so that you can keep going, so that you can keep going no matter what happens, always full of the joy of the Lord. I've asked the band to play a song. It's from uh, Hillsong United called Oceans, and it kind of talks through this subject. It's one thing to hear a sermon, then we move to announcements and we move out of here. I want you to respond to the sermon and take just a moment to pray through what you're currently going through. There are many in this room that are dealing with something like this right now. You either need to grieve or you need to let that chapter close. And I want you to take this opportunity to pray together. This is a family. It's an incredible family. If you came with your family then share it with your family and tell them, this is what I'm going through. This is my situation. They probably already know it. But begin to pray together through this song. And if you're here alone, this is also your family. Tell the people around you, I know how hard that is. It can be very awkward. But do it anyway. In fact, right now, will you guys kind of circle up or get with each other and begin sharing with each other? The song goes for a little bit, so you have time. It has ups and downs. Pray through the entire song. Go ahead and get together. And begin sharing. Be open.
As the band continues to play, if you're here and you don't have this Christ that we're talking about, um, you guys can keep playing. I want to give you another opportunity to pray through that because the it all kind of starts whether or not you have that at the beginning. And if you're here today and you're saying, "I I need the family, I need the friends." I also need the Savior, the God that's going to bring me through to the end, the God that I get to experience all of eternity with. 
And if you're here today and you don't have that, you're missing the most important component. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, in this moment, if you are saying, that is me, I need this Christ. My life needs to be different from this point on. And I need this Savior. I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. And I commit to that. Raise it up high and say, that is me. My life needs to change and this moment will be the moment. Let's quickly lift it up and leave it up for a second. Anyone else? Amen. God, I lift these up to you and I ask that you would absolutely guide. Guide them to the end. And let this moment be that moment in which they never look back and they see you and the journey that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen.